But all this time I was thinking, this is great. I've put a, a 2K reservation fee down and this property is increasing, increasing. Talk about great leverage on a 2K investment. And then after about two years, they started completing the development and literally within me completing in 2007, probably within about two months, the crash happened. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. And I bet you're exposed to investment risk right now. To reduce it, go to myworstinvestmentever.com and download the risk reduction checklist that I've made specifically for you, my podcast listeners, based upon the lessons I've learned from all of my guests. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guest, Mark Morris. Mark, are you ready to rock? Yeah, let's do it, Andrew. All right. Now, I'm going to introduce you to the audience here. When you hear the name Mark Morris, I want you to think high cash flow portfolios. Mark is an expert at building developer relationships and helping house builders achieve discrete volume sales at speed. Alongside an IT freelance career, he has been a property investor for the past 20 years, building a portfolio of buy-to-let apartments and houses across greater Manchester. He has also built a solid income-generating portfolio in the Midwest of the U.S., including Ohio, where I grew up outside of Cleveland. So, Mark, take a minute and fill any further tidbits about your life. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate the introduction. So, yeah, as you, as you touched on, I was, I was an IT freelancer. I was employed for sort of in my 20s. And then when we came to the what, we could, what you may remember as the um, year 2000 bubble, where everybody believed that when the clocks when the diary changed from 1999 to 2000, it was going to be Armageddon and no, none of the computers worked. And in those sort of times, you know, companies I work for finance and insurance, they were just paying ridiculous amount of monies for contractors just to get bums on seats to do testing. And as we all know now, it was a complete damn squib. But I put my toe in the water and I really liked the freelance world. But the issue I had was once 2000 was over, lots of contractors who've finished, you know, the assignments finished, they couldn't find new assignments. And a lot of people became unemployed or went back to just the day job. I was really, I was really adamant that I wasn't going to do that. So I had some, a few months out and, and I have to be honest, you know, it nearly, money was tight and I was struggling. And I realized that I needed some way of raising passive income to cover me for these to cover me for these breaks in between assignments. And that's really where I started looking at property. I was really keen on property. I started building a very small portfolio. My parents were involved in property and I really realized that that was the key to enable me to continue a freelance career. And, mm. and that's really where it all started. Interesting, and you said your parents, what experience did they have? They were renting so, yeah, out places or? Yeah, they were, but they were actually renting holiday homes in a place called the Lake District, which is 
about an hour, an hour and a half away from Manchester. And when I was very young, you know, I used to go up there. We used to clean and I used to take bookings. So I, I could see how that the property, the property business worked. But up until becoming a freelancer, I never had any sort of money at the end of the month. Do you know what I mean? So I needed, I started actually finding that there was a bit of cash at the end of the month and I, I got a bit of a pot together and I thought, yeah, okay, let's start investing in property. Mm. It's an interesting story because sometimes what we learn in our youth comes back later to help us. So, well, <laughs> now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, Tell us a bit about the circumstance leading up to it and then tell us your story. Sure. So we're probably in a, around the year 2005. Property prices, you know, at that point were very buoyant. You know, you went down to the pub, everybody was talking about property. Everybody was getting into property. You, you know, the taxi drivers are into property. And, it, you know, I, I was getting caught up with, you know, with all the hype. And I had a friend who was an estate agent and he said, look, you know, why I had two or three properties at that point, but I'd got a cash pot together and I wanted to try and create more cash to give me this sort of space for when I was out of um, contract. So he suggested, well, why don't we go? There's lots of new build, new build developments in a place called Wales, which is, you know, in the UK on marinas. And well, let's go and have a look. And I was quite impressed by him because he owned his own business. And I was saying, yeah, yeah, let's go and have a look. Sure enough, we went, we toured around a few places in Wales and we came upon one marina development that was being sold off plan. So all there was, literally we went to the agents and all there was was a, a big model of this marina development. It was going to sit on a beautiful part of the estuary by the marina and the guy there, whoa, he could, he was selling it like a dream. He was, you know, these properties are, we're selling them for off planet 200K, you know, within this 12 month build, within 18 months, you know, they'll be worth 240, 250, 260. And, you know, boy, was I just caught up in, you know, the hype. And within 10 minutes, I'd put a deposit down. And, you know, never really thought that was it. You know, I was sold. I, I was going to make this quick, this quick book. And wow, brilliant. Everything was going to turn to gold. And so what happened was, and I think it's probably happens with all developments, we started getting delays. So 12 months turned into 18 months. 18 months turned into two years. But all this time I was thinking, this is great. I've, I've put a, a 2K reservation fee down and this property is increasing, increasing. Talk about great leverage on a 2K investment. And then after about two years, they started completing the development and literally within me completing in 2007, probably within about two months, the crash happened. You know, we're talking big time, US, England, every, you know, suddenly, wow, I suddenly realized, hang on a minute, this extra 50, 60K that I was going to make was suddenly going to become potentially a 50, 60K loss because very quickly, 
nobody was buying these apartments. I wasn't going to turn. I wasn't going to turn that investment over. The other thing, so many. I mean, it was it was a catalogue of errors. Not not only because I felt as though I wasn't going to be keeping hold of it for any length of time. I, I'd used finance. I put a small deposit down, and effectively, when that term finished, I couldn't I couldn't remortgage because I was in negative equity. Mm. I just couldn't. The, the, the valuation would have been 60K down. I would have had to put another 80K just to get another mortgage. So I suddenly found myself really struggling on a poor mortgage product. I was in negative equity. I mean, we call it in the, in the UK, I became a mortgage prisoner. And the other thing is I had to realise, well, what am I going to do with this property? Um, I'm going to have to rent it out. But I actually, then I made my second mistake is I tried to scrim on management charges. I chose a very poor management agency who effectively tried to let it for two months, got absolutely nowhere. I found that actually the mortgage payment and the management charge was way above what I could get in rent. So I had voids, I was paying once I did finally get it let, I couldn't cover the mortgage. And as I say, there was high community charges because there was a lift involved and all sorts, very, very high expense. And to this day, I still actually have that property and it's still not got back to its original value and it still doesn't wash its face. So, I'm st- I mean, as things happened since then, you know, I've, managed to build a successful cash flowing business, but I am still there with this property in, you know, still not, so we're talking 12, 13 years on, still not got back to the same level in terms of price and still doesn't cover the mortgage. So yeah, an absolute catalog of errors real. Well, I think that I got a lot of questions, but rather than ask those questions, let's just get into the lessons that you learn because I think you've got some pretty clear, strong lessons. So maybe you can go into those. Yeah, sure. So the first thing I didn't do was I wasn't educated at the time. I had a couple of properties, but in those days there was no podcast, there was no training, there was no content. I wasn't educated. I didn't do anything in terms of personal development. I didn't do any research. I didn't do any due diligence, didn't look at the fundamentals of the property. I had no plan B. My only plan was that I was going to flip the property quickly and make a quick book. Never thought about what I was going to do if that wasn't going to happen, which obviously, you know, I needed a plan B and I also needed a plan C. I think the other thing was at the time I was investing, I didn't invest for the long term should always be looking at the long term, not the short term. So effectively, I bought a liability rather than an asset. And I still have that liability to this day. You know, you've got to, didn't ensure that the property cash flowed. So now I never buy a property unless I'm cash flowing minimum 250 to 300 pounds a month. I'd never buy anything now that didn't cash flow. So that was a massive lesson, absolutely huge. 
I didn't understand financial metrics, didn't understand return on investment, yields, gross yields. I was just, I just got suckered in with the, you know, the quick capital appreciation. You know, you can't go wrong. Didn't understand leverage. Picked the wrong mortgage product, so became a mortgage, very quickly became a mortgage prisoner. Didn't research my property managers, tried to scrimp on property managers. So I ended up with a void, a two, three month void, which again, seriously hit my, you know, hit me in the pocket. And didn't just didn't do the research on the developer. In, interestingly, this developer has actually now gone bust. And I think the warning signs, if it had done the research, they would have been there. And I think the, the real, the real final lesson is, in those days, I never understood the what we call the 18-year property cycle. So just quickly, for any of the listeners who don't know, I mean, the 18-year cycle is from crash to peak. There's going to be 18 years. You have, after a crash, you have three, four, potentially five years of no growth. Then a number of years of modest growth. Then you have what we call a mid-cycle wobble. Key thing is the last years are between five and seven years when you get massive increases in property price. But you buy at those last two years, you are going to have serious issues because you're on the winner's curse there and you're going to end up in negative equity. And history just repeats itself. You know, I've, I've looked for the property cycle and it does play out. Not exactly, but if I, boy, if I'd have known that, I would have never been buying from 2005 onwards. So huge, huge amounts of lessons learned. It was a really, really, you know, hard, hard one to, to take. But yeah, key, there's some key lessons there. Wow. And what happened to the guy that took you there? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you laugh, but he actually had the foresight and just, he had a reservation fee that was refundable. So as the development just went on and on and on, he actually pulled the stop the stop gap so he could actually get out of the development. But I was so blinkered on this theory that this property was was going up, ticking up 210, 220, 230, 240. I was just blinkered. So yeah, he got out. I didn't. Mm. The, the reason why I asked that is because anybody that's visited Thailand knows about the touts. And we have so many touts that are touting things that you don't have any clue where they're making money from it. And normally when something like that happens, it usually means that person got some sort of commission for getting someone to it. But I think UK is probably a little bit different. So there's a couple of things that I, I want to mention about this. I mean, the first thing you talked about, the idea of I bought a liability, not an asset. And I think that having taught finance all of my career, I just thought everybody kind of understood the difference between an asset and a liability. But the reality is, is that most home purchases that people are making are in fact a liability because they're putting usually not a lot of money down. They owe the bank a lot of money and a loan that they're taking to buy the house is a liability. Then they have liabilities related to, let's just say a liability is cash outflow. An asset is cash inflow. And it doesn't have to be, you know, you you understand and you've taught us about the idea of cash flow. But an asset, there are assets. You could buy a piece of land that you think has good potential. And five years from now, 
you've received no cash flow over five years, but you sell it for five times the amount that you bought it for, that is an asset because you're either going to get appreciation by getting you know cash flow or appreciation in yeah. the value of it. But I think a lot of people think that they're buying a asset when in fact they're buying a, a liability. And you, then you yeah, sorry, you're absolutely yeah. right, Andrew. Just one thing I just want to say at the same time, I bought as well as this the worst investment ever. I also bought another property again in the winner's curse the last two years of the cycle. However, it cash flowed and it was cash flowing 250, 300 pounds. And that again went into negative equity. Well, the fact that I was cash flowing, it really didn't matter. You know, as long as there was no, there was no concern there because I knew eventually it would come back. And as it happens, it has. But whereas this disastrous investment it was high-end as well. Do you know what I mean? It was really high-end property, mm. very highly priced as it was. And mortgage payments were, you know, large and the community charges were large. And at the time, I had a young family and that, it really gave me some sleepless nights yeah, because I sure. just felt, especially when, when the crash had happened and I couldn't get it let, not only was I not cut, I wasn't getting anything in to cover the mortgage or the, the charges. So, yeah, absolutely. Assets and liabilities, you know, <laughs> it's key. Isn't A it? key, key understanding. And it sounds like the developer priced, they had perfect timing in the sense that they were pricing for the peak of the market and a peak product. Yeah. The other thing that, you know, that I take away from this is the idea of buying off plan. You know, if you go down the street in your neighborhood and you see a building that's, you know, 5, 10, 20 years old, it's already done. It's completed. Yeah. The risks related to completion of the project are gone because it's already done. Now, of course, you know, that, that's going to mean that, you know, you can't buy it as cheaply as if you walk down the street and someone says, hey, I got this development. Here's a piece of raw land. Okay, you're going to be able to buy it more cheaply. But I think mm -hmm. it's important to remember that when you're buying off plan like that, ultimately what you're doing is you're buying a startup company you're buying a dream, you know, you're buying into a business and the business means there's a huge amount of risk to get to the final result that is very different from investing in existing property. I think most people get that confused and they, they don't realize all the risks that they're bringing on, that they're really investing in that person and in their business, not in property. But when it's complete, okay, fine. And then everything's up and running. Okay, now you own a property. But period before that, you're investing in a business. Yeah, that is so true. I mean, and the, the thing is, you know, like you say, the risk is there. You don't know whether that developer will end up building. They may go bust before. Again, you don't know how long it's going to be. It's going to take. All developments seem to, seem to run over. And by that time, time the market could have changed quickly you'll have had no you know you've got no control over that so yeah due diligence i mean i'm not against off-plan investments because mm. you know yep. it can can work really well but yes so much more riskier as you say absolutely so i guess when i think about building a portfolio of assets of property assets you know maybe an off-plan development is more risk than a beginner should take and maybe build up your portfolio of three to five properties and then start to say, okay, I'm willing to take a little bit more risk. Yeah, yeah, 
definitely. And the last thing is just that when I look at all the interviews I've done, I've identified six common mistakes that people make. And the number one mistake that almost everybody makes is the following. Fail to do their own research. Yeah. And I think that, that you've already identified that as a huge one. And um, one of the ways that I do that, you know, in, in Thailand, we had a period of time in Bangkok where there was a lot of fitness clubs set up. And the, the hard sell is hard <laughs> when you go in there. You know, they got the path to walk you through the place and get you all pumped up. And they're going to sit you down with a contract in front of you and all that. And it's hard to do your research when you just walk into the first one and they've got a beautiful man or woman there that's, you know, <laughs> guiding you through it, through a real, real polished thing. Mm -hmm. So the way that I did it myself to allow myself to do my research is that when I went to visit the places, I left my wallet at home. So I didn't have any money. It was impossible for me to commit beyond, okay, sure, I could have signed a contract, but the fact is, I just was able to say, oh, yeah, I don't have my credit card. Yeah. And sometimes we have to do tricks to get ourselves to stop and do the research. That's so true. And I think you need that. You need a cooling off period, don't you? You, know, you, you, need, you need to sleep on things minimum because guaranteed the next morning, you know, when you wake up, you'll have had a number of thoughts where like let me just check this let me just do a bit more dd on this let me just make some inquiries you know but yeah so absolutely yeah don't if it means leaving your wallet at home yes absolutely do that but don't make any don't sign on the dotted line there and then have that have that 24 hours you know to really kind of do some research and, and if it needs to be you know 48 longer than yeah absolutely and that brings me into another lesson out of this. And that is the lesson that in the U.S., I know, I don't know about the U.K. and other countries, but we have cooling off periods for contracts. There are certain contracts that you can literally walk away from within three days. I think it is in the U.S., mm -hmm. but check on cooling off periods related to a contract. So if you've already signed a contract and you think, oh, I think I made a mistake, if there's a cooling off period allowed to do that, then consider that. And the, the second point that I would make, and this is going to sound a little bit strange because I'm, you know, a sincere, honest guy, but you can walk away and you could forfeit money that you put up. You could even break a contract and nobody wants to be a person who breaks a contract. But if this contract is going to break you and your family, there is an argument that you can walk away. So not only the before period of research, the during period of kind of that decision-making, the immediate period afterwards, you know, they have some ability to walk away. And then yeah. in the middle of a contract, I'm sorry, nobody wants to walk out of a contract and nobody wants to deal with that, but there may be a reason why it makes sense. And I think, yeah, it's very true. I think in terms of new build developments, and in all honesty, I don't know whether I actually had this, but my my issue was that I was just blinkered. Even even when I bought, I didn't want to. I didn't want to get out at that point. I still believed that it was going to make me this quick 50, 60k. And sure enough, the, the market turned pretty much soon afterwards. But just to follow on from what you're saying, I mean, in the UK we have a we have something what we call a long stop. 
So effectively, it's, a, it's you know, if you are buying off plan, and like what happened to me, instead of it taking 12 months, it takes two years plus, you could exercise the long stop get out clause because effectively they'll give you a long stop date. And if it, they go past that, you're able to come out of that contract and get your deposit returned. So, yeah, I mean, again, that was another thing that I didn't know about. I'm still not sure whether there was a long stop mm. contract, but I would always, if I was buying off plan, I would make sure that that was written in there. And I mean, that reminds me of episode 301, which was Mighty Pete Lawton. And he's also in the UK. And he got himself into a property situation where he did actually walk away from it. And he, you know, broke a contract and he had to really, it was a difficult situation, but it's just an example that you do not have to lock yourself in to, you know, yeah. a life of servitude. So, all right. So, <laughs> yeah. so based on what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn. And before I continue this question, I want to imagine a young man or woman who's been seduced by the attractiveness of a relatively high risk investment young in their career, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Get yourself educated, you know, really do your research, just commit to personal development, commit to learning all the time. You know, it's, it's so key. Just really understand the process, understand what the investment that you're getting yourself into do your due diligence, but yeah, get, get educated. It's a, it's a great lesson. And I think when I began my career as an analyst, first of all, I had no money. And second of all, I had no confidence. And it took me, my first investment was probably almost 10 years into my career as an analyst. Now I invested in startup business and some other stuff, but to invest in the stock market, I felt like I really needed to understand a lot more before I put my hard earned money to work. And one of the lessons I've learned from this podcast is it's remarkable the number of times that people just hand over their money into something that they didn't do mm -hmm. any research on. So it's a great lesson. And for the listeners out there, take this as a wake up call from Mark, who's been through it to stop and sit down and do some research. All right. Last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Yes, yeah, so my number one goal, I mean, this is, this is a really good question because it's made me really think, but my number one goal for the next 12 months is to create another high cash flow and income stream. Now, whether that be in property, or, well, it will be in property, but whether it's property in a different location or it's doing a slightly different strategy, but yeah, so it's creating another cash flow and income stream. Can't wait to talk in 12 months. <laughs> yeah, that'll be good. I think make sure you record it. Maybe you make a, a podcast or a book out of it or a little course out of it. And I think you've got a lot to share. Yeah. I'd love to just say a couple. There's a couple yeah. of quotes that, do you mind if I just quote? Because please, please. I just, it just really, I love, I absolutely love, you know, the, the Warren Buffett quote, the be fearful when others are greedy. And, you know, be greedy when others are fearful. I, I absolutely love that quote. And, and the second quote I love is, the best way to predict the future is to study the past, which is Robert Kiyosaki quote. And, you know, they just, it's just, it sums pretty much it all up for me. It's, it's just, you know, yeah, those two things. 
Yeah, and if you're not willing to study the past, maybe start with the present. And if you know where you are, I always tell the story of, you know, imagine that I flew to, let's say, London, and and I called you and said, you know, I want to come and see you. Tell me how to get there. And and then you say, well, where are you? And I said, well, I, I don't know where I am. And then you say, well, look around. You know, you see any signs? I say, I don't really see anything, or I don't have my glasses on, or whatever. But just tell me how to get to your place. It's impossible to be able to get to a place if you don't know where you are starting from. Nobody could give you instructions. And so sometimes okay. just noting the starting point, like our price is high, valuation's high, mm. is, 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 the, is the economy overheating? Are we, you know, where are we at today? So yes, study the past, but make sure you're aware of the presence. All right. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. My number one goal for the next 12 months is to help you, my listeners, to reduce risk in your life. So go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now and download the risk reduction checklist and see how you measure up. As we conclude, Mark, I want to thank you for coming on the show. And on behalf of ASTOTS Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Yeah, don't be afraid to make mistakes. You know, there's great learnings from mistakes. Just own them, put your hands up, but, you know, take ownership, but learn by them massive learning and make and making mistakes don't be afraid to make mistakes beautiful and you know you remind me of a quote i saw just recently that said you will make mistakes and you will pay for them and that's life but you it's your choice whether you learn from them (laughs) well that's a wrap on another great story to help us create grow and most importantly protect our well fellow risk takers this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside.